0: So last week, Pete kicked off a teaching series um, called The Path to Fruitfulness, looking at a corker of a passage um, in John chapter 15. And the teaching um, here is all about Jesus gathering his disciples. It's the last moment before he heads to the cross. So he's kind of imparting all of this wisdom to him. He gathers his disciples round and he says to them, the life that you're longing for, like fullness of life, it's only found in me. He uses this imagery of kind of a vine, and he's basically saying, like, I am the true vine, the place where true life is found. Like, abide in me, remain in me, and life will flow through you to produce fruit. And so we're gonna focus today on this concept of abiding. Like, what does it actually mean to abide with Jesus? So the word abide, it means to remain, to stay in, to live in something. And the truth is that we're all abiding in something, right? Like, we're all drawing strength from something or from someone. You know, maybe it's the vine of financial security um, or of a cause that we believe in, or maybe it's a greater sense of community, like our job, you know, and all those things aren't bad things at all. But when we abide in them, like when we place our hope in them and look to them to give us life, um, they can't. They can't give us the meaning. They can't satisfy. You know, we, that eternal longing remains The truth is that the deepest longing of the human heart is only ever satisfied with intimacy with Jesus through abiding in him. And we know this, right? Like, I don't know about you, but when I hear those truths, I'm like, yes, I believe this. Like, true vine, great, sign me up. But we live in a society that conspires against intimacy with Jesus. Like we live in a world that demands so much from us, that screams for our attention. And for so many of us, like myself included, despite such good intentions, we end up with so little time for our relationship with Jesus. Like we want to, we know we should, we can see logically all the arguments for it. We know that the pursuit of other things isn't going to kind of end well, but we lead such distracted lives that our intentions never manifest into life-giving practices that see us abide with Jesus. And so today, I just want to spend a bit of time unpacking, like, how do we abide with Jesus in this age of distraction? And we're going to be doing that by basing ourselves in John chapter 15, and I'm going to be jumping around the text a bit, so I just encourage you, grab your Bible, open it up in front of you, um, John chapter 15. But we're going to start with verse 9, and it's in this verse that Jesus really gets the heart of why abiding with Jesus is the way to true life. So, verse 9, it says this. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. You know, often when we talk about abiding in Jesus, like we jump straight to the obey my command section. We talk about how to abide, we speak about the practices that we need to cultivate and that isn't bad at all. In fact, we will go on to speak exactly about those things but that isn't the starting place. Like the starting point when we talk about abiding is the Father's love for us. Like it is so easy to miss that extraordinary truth at the start of verse nine. Like just as the Father has loved Jesus, so Jesus loves us. Like the same way that the Father loves the Son in that Trinitarian relationship, we are loved. Like in verse 16, it goes on to say, "'You did not choose me, but I chose you.'" Like we so often think that our acceptance is based upon our performance, but he says, I've chosen you, remain in how I feel about you. And, you know, a month ago or so, just being really honest, like my faith felt really dry. Um, I just felt like I was going through the motions in my faith and my hunger for God, it just wasn't really, you know, it just felt like it disappeared, like it dried up a bit. And I was just feeling really frustrated. Um, And when you're in that place, like when you don't feel God uh, or sense him close, it's really easy to start drawing conclusions about God's character, that he's distant or disappointed with you. And you can just feel your heart starting to go a bit cynical. And just one morning, um, I was trying to pray. I was sitting on my bed, but I just felt really distracted. And I just had this growing sense of frustration in me, like, God, what's going on? And I was just complaining to God. And then just the story of Derek Redmond dropped into my mind. Um, and I want to play you this video clip. Um, and just before we do, many of you will know the story of Derek Redmond. Um, he was an athlete, an incredible sprinter. Um, and I just want to show you the video of one of his races, which was filmed in the 1992 Barcelona Olympics. Um, and because it was filmed in 1992, the video quality is shocking, so excuse that. Um, but just to give a, get a bit of context to it, um, he'd won the first round, he'd won the quarterfinals, and he had his heart set on that gold medal. So this is the, uh, the race of the semifinals. And he starts the race really well, gets off to a cracking start. Um, He's 250 metres from the finish line. He's about to win, and his hamstring tears. And he um, hits the floor. Other runners overtake him. And he just gets up all of a sudden. He's like, I just need to finish the race. And so he hobbles towards the finish line. And out of nowhere, the thing that you need to know about this video clip, out of nowhere, you're going to see a man run onto the track and put his arms around him, and that's his dad. So cue the video. Um, And let's watch this now. What a video! Um, it's emotional, isn't it? Um, and you know, in that video, you see Jim, who's um, Derek's father, run towards him, put his arms around him, and in the video, you see him starting to talk to Derek as they walk around that track together. Um, and a reporter afterwards, he asks him, like, "What were you saying to Derek in that moment?" And Jim just turns to the reporter and he just says, "I was just saying to him, you don't need to prove yourself. Like, Derek, I am so proud of you. I am so proud of you. You don't need to prove yourself." And I don't know where you're at today, but for me, like the past few months have felt like I'm limping round that track. Like I'm barely keep on going. But my frustration, my disappointment, it clouded my vision and I'd forgotten he was actually on the track with me. Like in my pain, I couldn't see that my heavenly father had run towards me. He has always been there. Like I'd fixed my eyes on my lack of feelings rather than fixing my eyes on the truth that he loved me. And if you feel like that today, like if you feel like you're barely limping around that track, you need to know that your heavenly father is running towards you right now. Like you need to know that he has never left, that he um, loves you so much. You don't need to earn his love. You don't need to prove yourself. He's not disappointed with you. Like abiding in Jesus, it isn't about earning his love. It's remaining in it. As the father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. And just, you know, before we move on from this point, I just need to acknowledge how awful that music was. Um, The the other option was you raise me up as a soundtrack, which I thought, can't do that. Um, So I chose the dodgy piano music, apologies. But anyway, um, abiding, like this all starts with recognising God's love for us, that he chose us first. And so when we abide with Jesus, we live in the reality of that truth. Like we live with an awareness of who's running around the track with us every day. When we abide with Jesus, we live with an awareness that he is constantly present to us. And it sounds great, right? But the reality is that when life gets busy, when the competing demands begin to mount up, simply hearing that God loves us, relying purely on that head knowledge, doesn't mean that we live lives in reality of that love. Like we actually have to root our lives in his love. We have to build practices in our lives that keep us lifting our gaze heavenward, that grow and nurture our relationship with him. And it's at this point that we really hit up against the idol of our generation because our generation idolizes total autonomy. But what we really crave, what our hearts are actually longing for is intimacy. And the irony is you can't have both. You know, as John Mark Comer says, like, in- intimacy only resides in the safety of commitment. In a relationship, like, you prefer the other. You don't just follow whatever desires you have in that moment. Your behavior, your practices, um, nurture and foster that relationship. And in the safety of commitment, intimacy is cultivated. Now, if you want intimacy with Jesus, if you want the life of the kingdom to flow through you, you have to let go of the many things in order to choose the one thing, in order to choose Jesus. And it's an invitation, right? Like this isn't something that Jesus ever forces on us. It's it's our choice. But it's through this choice, through abiding in him, that the character of Christ is formed in us. So how do we nurture and build this relationship? Like how do we live lives in the reality of his love for us, like sensitive to the spirit in our everyday moments? Well, in Matthew seven, Jesus tells the parable of the wise and foolish builder. Um, and it's an absolute Sunday classic. Um, you know, it's a great one, but if you missed out on that, um, basically Jesus is talking to the crowds and he's saying, there was a wise man, he built his house upon the rock. Um, so when the storms came um, they stood firm, He was fine, but the foolish builder, he built his house upon the sand. So when the waves crashed in, when the storm came, his house just crumbled. But the really key bit um, to the whole of that parable is actually in verse 24. It's right at the start because he says this, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house upon the rock. And then he goes on to say, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like the foolish man. You know, we have to hear the words and then we have to put them into practice. Um, John Tyson says that one of the challenges of our era is we confuse resonance with obedience. Like it's so easy to think that just because we have resonated with something that we'll automatically live lives in response to that truth. I mean, I don't know about you, but the amount of talks I've listened to, um, you know, they've deeply stirred me. I've resonated with them. I've given them my amens and hallelujahs. But then I haven't actually translated them into practice. And what that means is that we grow in our head knowledge of Jesus, but our, our lives end up looking no different from the world around us. Like We're just as anxious, we're just as worn out. and We forget Jesus's presence. The very King of Kings is with us. Like If we want to bear, fruit, the, bear the fruit of the kingdom, then we have to put practices in our day-to-day lives that lift our eyes to God, that remind us that everything doesn't depend on us. Mm-hmm that he's our loving father, that he is on the track with you and that our lives are shaped by him. Like when we do that, the character of Christ is formed in us, you know, and the practices themselves don't transform us. Um, but those practices are the ways that we open ourselves up to God's transformative love. So practically, like, how do we do this? Well, if you've been around KXE for any length of time, you will know that one of the ways we, one of the ways we do this is through PATTERN. Um, PATTERN's a tool which helps us cultivate rhythms of life, which help us be with Jesus, become like him, and do the things that he did. And I'd really encourage you, head to the PATTERN website, pattern.org.uk, and there's some incredible resources on there that help you root your life, and build these practices into your life. But one of the ways I just want to fix um, kind of our attention on now, is one of the ways that we do that and um, fixing our eyes on Jesus is through reading the scriptures daily, not as a tick box exercise, um, but so that his word lives in us. Um, in John 15 verse 7, Jesus says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. You know, um, last year during lockdown number one, um, I was living by myself. um, And I was um, struggling with some health problems. And I remember um, I'd had lots of different calls with my doctor. And um, I had one call one afternoon. And I thought she was going to say, everything's fine. Don't worry about it. You're overreacting. Um, But instead, um, she actually was like, I'm actually quite concerned. And she wanted to send me for some tests quite quickly. And I just remember coming off that call, um, I was standing in my flat by myself, I kind of put the phone down and just on top of everything else, the loneliness of lockdown, um, you know, the pandemic that was going on and then just hearing this news, as I put my phone down, just a wave of fear just hit me. And as as soon as I did that, as soon as I felt that wave of fear, I just found myself automatically repeating Romans 8, like nothing shall separate me from the love of God, neither death nor life, like nothing shall separate me from the love of God. And suddenly in that moment, that wave of fear was replaced with an awareness of the father's love for me. Mm. And sure, like I was still concerned, like, you know, I was still a bit like, oh gosh, what's gonna happen? But I wasn't consumed by fear any longer. Standing there in my flat by myself, I knew my father was on the track with me. And I had the tests and things worked out okay, but the practice of reading scripture daily meant that when that storm hit, his word was in me, his truth was the loudest in my ear. And it's worth saying that kind of there's a difference between consuming content about the Bible and actually feasting on it. Like we live in a time in history when we have unlimited access to as much Christian content as we want. We can watch 10 sermons in a day if we want to, wouldn't recommend it, Um, but if you want to, great. Um, But that doesn't necessarily lead us to intimacy with Jesus, but feasting on his word does. Like take the time to open up the book for yourself. Like we're not reading to accumulate information, but every day, like slowly meditating or maybe just one verse, chewing it over. That's what feeds us. That's what opens our hearts up to his transformative love and allows us to be formed by him. You know, London doesn't need people with more information about God. But London desperately needs more people with intimacy with Jesus and having the character of Christ formed in them. So just really practically, um, if you don't have a reading, a rhythm for reading the Bible, um, we're reading through the New Testament in a year and just encourage you to join us. We, we're using an acronym called BREAD um, to help us not just rush through the text, um, but kind of digest it slowly. And I'm hesitant to recite the acronym because last time I did this, I forgot the E and I spelled out BRAD. Um, so I've written it down for myself. So here we go. So B is be still. Just spend 30 seconds um, asking God, come and meet me, God. Um, open up your word to me. R stands for read, read through the text, um, kind of write one verse down that maybe stands out to you. E is encounter Jesus in the text. Take that verse and meditate on it, chew over it, allow that word to remain in you. A is apply the text to your daily life. What are you gonna do from hearing his word and what are you gonna put into practice? And D is devote the rest of your day to God. So just a simple prayer. You know, and if that's something that you'd find helpful, then you can head to our website, um, kxc.org.uk forward slash Bible, just to download the plan. But whether you do bread or something else, like find a rhythm that roots your life in the word of God, each day allowing his word to remain in you. And there'll be days when it's done from a place of total delight. And there'll be days where it's done from discipline. Like sometimes I have moments where like the words jump out of me and I'm like, that's amazing. That's incredible. But to be honest, like most days that doesn't happen. But I know that God is still forming me in those times, that my character is still being shaped, that he's planting his word in me. But it's more than just that, right? Like we're told in John 15, that as we abide in Jesus, our lives will bear the fruit of the kingdom of God. So just as I come into land, like, what is this fruit? And just to clarify here, like this fruit is an individual fruit. Like we read this text with such a cultural lens of individualism. Like Jesus isn't saying this is the way to kind of personal material fruit in your life or kind of what the world would deem as fruitful. I mean, you only need to look at a few of the followers of Jesus to see that a life of abiding with Jesus definitely isn't what the world deems as fruitful. Like Jesus is saying, if you abide in me, then you will bear the fruit of the kingdom of heaven like your life will point to something, to someone greater than you. Your life will be a witness to the world around you that the kingdom of heaven is breaking in. You will be a carrier of hope to your friends when all they have are reasons for despair, like you'll be a reconciler in a society of division. You'll see the miraculous break in, not because of how good you are or how hard you've worked, but because the life of the king flows through you. And abiding in Jesus always leads us outwards into a hurting world. Because when we abide in him, we're transformed into his likeness, right? And so we become like him and we do the stuff that he did. We follow his movement towards the margins of our society and the kingdom of heaven breaks out there. Like Paul puts it like this in 2 Corinthians chapter two. He says that through us, God spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. Like we become the very aroma of Christ. In other words, like through his church, through his people, he will fill the city with the knowledge of God not through church buildings or through church events or strategies, but through you and through me. Like as we go into our work meetings, as we log on to that Zoom call, as we spend time with our kids, as we talk to shopkeepers, as we go for that walk with a friend who's struggling, walking around that park for the hundredth time, Like we are the fragrance of Christ in this city, the story of who he is, of his heart for his people. We make known to people Like, it's not our competency, it's not our ability that sees kingdom fruit break out, but it's a decision to daily abide in him that would change our city. Like, it is the only thing that ever has. Because when you abide in the reality that you are loved, you start to long for others to know that truth. You start to long to know that others would see their father on the track with them. Like when you become aware of God's presence in the everyday mundane details of life, every moment becomes filled with kingdom possibility. Like you start to dream bigger than you ever would by yourself because the God of the impossible is with you. And Jeremiah Lanthia um, was someone who knew all about this. And I'll, I'll end with this story, but Jeremiah was someone who knew what it meant to abide with Jesus. And um, he came to faith in his late thirties um, and then he lived in New York in the mid 19th century. And he encountered the love of Jesus. And as he walked around his streets where he lived, he longed for New Yorkers to know the same. And so he lived um, with a daily awareness of Jesus's presence. And he started to dream big. He wanted the city to know the love of the father. And so his strategy for this um, was crazy. He basically ended up going door to door. And he'd ask people, Can I just inquire about the state of your souls? Um, which is, is an interesting tactic. And as you can imagine, most people were like, I'm all right, thanks. Shut the door on him. He didn't have much success at all. But he wasn't driven by success. He's secure in the Father's love for him. He abides with Jesus. And so, whilst he's disappointed, failure didn't phase him. He abides with Jesus. He's resolved in his spirit that he is loved by God and that God loves these people. So he daily reads scripture, he prays his prayers, and then he goes and tells people about Jesus. And one morning as he's doing this daily practice of prayer, as he's abiding with Jesus, he just hears a whisper from the Holy Spirit that he should start a prayer meeting. And this guy doesn't hold back. Like he uses all the money he has, all the little he's got. And he prints 20,000 flyers and he um, sends them out. He basically goes door to door, putting each flyer through. And he stands on street corners and he hands these flyers out until they're all gone. And, you know, can you imagine his friends are just like, Jeremiah's finally lost it. We thought the door knocking was bad. Like here he is, 20,000 flyers. This is it. And on the day of the prayer meeting, he gets the room ready. He's putting the chairs out. He sits down and nobody comes. Like for the first half an hour of that prayer meeting, nobody turns up. And all of a sudden kind of half an hour in, he just hears six people enter the room um, and he spends the rest of the half hour just praying with them, six people. Now, I'd have probably called it after that. Like six people out of 20,000 isn't really a sign that you should continue. Um, but Jeremiah, he's back again next week. He's made it his practice, and sure enough, a few people turn up. They pray together, and this goes on for several weeks. Just a few people turning up, but as they carry on in this practice of prayer, slowly they start to see fruit. Like these meetings start to grow so much so that they have to start meeting every day, and then suddenly, in 1857, there's an economic crash. Wall Street crashes, and men just become unemployed overnight. And all of a sudden, these unemployed men just start turning up to these prayer meetings. And six months later, 10,000 people are now gathering every day to pray. Prayer meetings have opened up in every single church across the city. People are coming to Christ. They're encountering the love of the Father. And as these people start to abide in Jesus, the fragrance of Christ spreads across the city. You know, addictions are broken. Families are restored. Unethical businessmen start to change how they do business. And over the course of a year, over a million people come to know Christ. Like one million people encounter the love of the Father. Why? Because one man, in response to the love of the Father, resolved in his spirit to let the life of the kingdom of heaven flow through him. He put practices in place that kept him open to the whisper of the Spirit of God, like Jeremiah knew that it wasn't his competency, it definitely wasn't his ability that would see fruit break out, but his decision to abide in Jesus. Like don't ever underestimate the power of abiding in Jesus. Like if you're feeling discouraged today in your faith, if you feel like Jeremiah Lanthea sitting in a room by yourself and no one's showed up, keep going. Let your eyes be fixed on the Father's love for you. He is so proud of you. You don't have to prove yourself. He's not disappointed with you. But trust that as you abide in him, life will flow through you. You know, you might not always see the fruit with your own eyes, but abiding in Jesus always produces kingdom fruit, whether you see it or not. That like when we walk faithfully through life with Christ, when we abide in him, his character is formed in us and we carry the fragrance of Christ into the world and others encounter freedom.